truly worthy is the lamb that was slain. Amen. And we have gathered in this place to worship that lamb. Let us pray. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who was slain on our behalf. We thank you for the choir that just so wonderfully sung your praise. Thank you for your son, who is our lamb, who is our hope, who is our treasure, who is our friend, who is our restorer, who is our redeemer who is our brother and yet our savior. Father, we pray that you would allow him to be proclaimed at this hour and at this time. Bless your word, dear God, and bless your people. Your sheep know your voice, and a stranger we will not follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord today and to uh, see that God's grace is continuing to keep you, that he has allowed you to make it another week and to continue to uh, be in his grace. It's always a good thing to see the people of God in the house of God. As we start this year, I think that it's important for us as, as Christians who are smothered in a culture that idealizes self uh, to remember that life is not about us. Uh, so that is our thing. Uh, this culture is a very me, 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 I, 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 minds, minds, minds type of culture. And for those of you who are believers, we know that that is really uh, anti-Christian. Uh, That is anti-Jesus. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. The first step to becoming a Christian uh, uh, as as we look to faith in Jesus is to understand that our lives is no longer our own, but our lives belong to the one who died in our place. One cannot be committed to self-centricity and truly love Jesus. And the series that we are delving into is, is, is teaching us that. It is, it is training our minds to constantly be reminded that life is not about us, that our life does not belong to us. It is teaching us to turn daily from the love of self and to trust in Christ. And to love God. If you would, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Today we're going to look at, uh, and, 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 and the subject is not about me, but it's about God-exalting, Christ-centered homes. It's not about me. It's about God-exalting Christ-centered homes. Amen? The book of Deuteronomy literally means the words, which stands for uh, the spoken word of Moses. Deuteronomy is believed to be the final speech uh, of Moses before his death. As you look at verse 4, may you stand to your feet for the reading of God's 
precious word. And you'll see in most modern translations, the first word in verse 4 is either hear or listen. In the Jewish tradition, this uh, verse is referred to as the Shema, which is a Hebrew word which uh, means to hear or to listen to. To hear or to listen to. So let us hear what the Lord is saying this morning through his word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And then he continues. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates, you may be seated. So in Genesis chapter 1, we find the words of Moses as he introduces the creation narrative. He is telling Israel uh, how the world came to be about. And we'll notice right away in Genesis chapter 1 that this this story that is being presented is about God. God is the, the key figure. He is the one who has made the heavens and the earth. He is the one who deserves to be the center of attention. He is the main character. In the first chapter of Genesis, we see God's name mentioned over 30 times. And as we continue to read this creation narrative, we see that God makes a special creation. In the midst of creating animals, in the midst of creating the seas, in the midst of creating the heavenly hosts, suddenly we see that God makes man. He makes man from the dust of the earth, a man that we know by the name of Adam. And he gives man a task, he gives him a vocation, he gives him a job, and that job is to rule and to subdue the earth. It is to take care of God's creation. Adam's vocation was to make sure that the earth was the place where God, its creator, its sustainer, it was the place where God was worshipped, where God was glorified and adored. And this was going to come about as a result of Adam's obedience, as a result of Adam's reverence of God, and as a result of Adam teaching his family, teaching his wife what thus says the Lord. And we know the story. We know that after God created Adam and gave him this task, God then gave him a wife. He took her from his side. And we know that they were deeply in love. We don't know how how long they were in love before they started having marital problems. It could have been a day. It could have been an hour. It could have been a a hundred years. The Bible doesn't so. We just know that Adam was amazed at his bride. And they were in love. And they were enjoying God together. And then the Bible says that trouble struck. 
The Bible teaches us that Eve was deceived by the serpent and, and, and so was Adam deceived by his wife or chose willingly to disobey God and, and listen to the voice of his wife. And, and at that moment, at the moment that they took their eyes off of God, at the moment that they chose to rebel against God, the Bible says that death entered into the world. Sin ruptured their relationship. Sin brought about brokenness. Sin brought about pain. Sin brought about a curse. And this family stood under the curse of God. And the Bible teaches us that every man from that point was born under the curse of Adam. Every single man from our first parents were were born broken people, were born self-centered people, were born with a desire to gratify themselves and allow that to be their end goal. And as a result, Every family from that point has been a dysfunctional family. Every family has been a broken family. Every family has been marred with disappointments, with fights, with death. Because of our first parents' disobedience. But praise God. That from the very beginning, God had a plan. In fact, the Bible teaches us that God had already predestined a plan, that he had already made a way in order that his glory would still fill the earth. He had already made a way for broken people and broken families to be reconciled to himself. From the very beginning, when God set Adam in the garden, God wanted his glory, his renown, his fame to spread through the earth. And even though man sinned, and even though man is born under a curse, God said, I'm going to make a way for man to be reconciled and for my glory to spread throughout the earth. And then we read in Genesis chapter 12 about how God then elects, selects a, a man by the name of Abel. He calls him to himself and he makes a covenant with Abram, we read in Genesis chapter 12 through 15. He promises to bless Abraham and to bless his family, to give him a land and, that is flowing with milk and honey and to uh, allow his seed to, to spread and for, the, for his seed to fill the whole earth. Abram was to be God's man and God was to be Abram man. And, and through Abraham's lineage, God's glory was going to once again fill the earth and bless a people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. As we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, we are reading the story of Abraham, about the story about Abraham's lineage, about his people. This is Israel, God's chosen nation, a nation that was supposed to be his people, a nation that he was going to bless ridiculously, a a, a nation that he was going to keep and a nation that was going to send a message to the rest of the nations that that they're different and that the God that they worship is different. 
So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read Moses and Moses' words as he is teaching Israel how to be satisfied in God. And he is teaching Israel how to be blessed by God. He's saying if, if you are going to be blessed and used by God, if you are going to make his name known to the nations, then it's going to start with you devoting your home to him. It's going to start with your home being a place of worship. It's going to start with your home being consumed with him and, and with his glory. He says, if God is going to be exalted through us and through this congregation, it is not going to start with us coming to corporate worship. It is not going to start with us being a part of church activities. It is not going to start with us being uh, 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 just a member of a church. God transforms family, uh, transforms the world, and he wants to, to send his glory throughout the world by, by building strong families. Strong families build strong churches. Strong churches can build strong communities. Strong communities can, can transform a state or even a nation, but it begins at home. For many people, public worship is drudgery. For many of our children, public worship, Sunday morning worship is extremely difficult. And it is mainly because there is little to no worship taking place in the privacy of our home. In this text, God is calling out Israel's parents and he is commanding them and yet encouraging them to make their homes centered around him. He is, is showing them how it looks to have a, a God-exalting home. How it looks to glorify him behind closed doors. How it looks to pour into our children and to train them up in righteousness. So in verse 4, we see that Moses is, is, is speaking to Israel, as he says here, O Israel. But if we go up to verse 2, God speaks to Moses, and as Moses communicates to Israel, the reason for having a God-exalting, Christ-honoring home. The reason that we are to have it. Verse 2 says that, that you may fear the Lord your God, and that you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and the day and your days may be long. So God is, is teaching us that this is important. Having a God-centered home is important because it is going to keep our children. And not only is it going to, to keep our, our children, but it is going to keep our children's children. God wants us to have God-centered homes in order that we would be able to have a legacy that points to him, that the upcoming generations save the coming of, of Jesus Christ, that the upcoming generations may fear God, may love God, that his glory will be taken to the nations, that his word will be taken to the nations by our kids. So he starts, Moses says, hear all Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, what does that mean? The Lord is one. I think the best interpretation for the Lord is one, as he was telling Israel to hear, is this. He's saying that the Lord our God, he is the only one. 
He is the only one. He is, is, is the only one who deserves to be worshipped. He is the only one who deserves to be the center of attention in our lives and in our homes. He is the only one who deserves to consume us, to fill us, to own us. God is calling Israel, who is used to polytheistic worship, who is used to worshiping many gods as they were slaves in Egypt. He is calling them to singular monotheistic worship. He is calling them to set their hearts on one God, the one true God. And we see just before in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses rehashing the Ten Commandments to Israel. And we'll notice that starting at verse 6 that God is is making this point that he should be the only one that is worshipped. In verse 6 he tells us why he should be the only one who is worshipped or given supreme worth. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why, Why does God deserve to be the center of attention in our homes? The same reason why he deserved to be the center of attention in Israel's homes. Because he is an awesome deliverer. He he said, I am the one who saved you out of slavery. Now we know that they were in physical bondage for centuries. They were being mistreated for centuries. They could not help themselves In the beginning of Exodus, the Bible says that they were crying out to the Lord and and the Lord heard their cries. They were helpless and God swooped down and saved them from their misery. And he did this not as a result of their works or their goodness, but he did it as a result of his goodness and his grace. And the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were just like Israel. In fact, Paul uses some hard language. He says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we were following the prince of this air. We were Satan worshipers before God found us. We were evil. We were despicable. We were walking zombies. But God, being rich in mercy, but God sent his son. And he allowed his son to captivate our hearts. He showed us that there is a a better way to live. He showed us that there is a greater way to live. He showed us that the delight that we were finding in the clubs and and finding in alcohol and finding in weed and finding in and and anything else. He says that that is is pale to to, to, to what I have for you and my son. And he snatched us up. The Bible says he regenerated us. He he gave us a new heart. He called us his own. He removed our sins. He forgave us of our idolatry. He says, you're mine. God should be the center of our homes. Because he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. But he continues. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. 
God said, you shall worship me and make me, me the center of your home because I have saved you, I have delivered you, and I alone delivered you, and I'm jealous for you. And why is God jealous for us? Because he owns us. <laughs> if we're Christians, we're saying that God owns us, that he's our Lord. So Moses says, hear, O Lord, the Lord, our God. Our God, the Lord Yahweh, is one. He deserves to be worshipped. He deserves to be glorified. He deserves to be exalted above all. And then he goes on and he continues. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So he says, worship me as one and love me with everything. Notice what he did not say. He did not say you shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart. But he says with all of your heart. He is calling for total devotion. He is calling for complete surrender. He is calling for radical submission. He is calling for a passionate pursuit. He is calling for dominant devotion, for vibrant exploration. He is calling for all of us, every single part of us. He tells Israel, you shall. This is a commandment. This is not optional. God says, my people shall love me. And I shall be the center of attention in their lives. We know our our, our precious Lord, he picks this up in the New Testament. And he says this repeatedly throughout the Gospels. In fact, in three out of four of the Gospels, these exact words are are said. Jesus tells us that this is the first and the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with everything. And if we are going to have Christ-centered homes, it's going to start with the leaders of the home. Begging God to give us a heart that is completely sold out for him. A heart that is not reserving any worship for anything or anyone else. It starts with the parents. As Moses is addressing the parents, he's saying that you should love me with everything. Total consumption is what I want from you. We'll see throughout this passage, uh, later on he talks about He mentions the word children in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And the original Hebrew scholars argue that that, the word used there is most commonly used for sons. Moses is probably directly addressing fathers in this passage. He's saying, fathers, you need to worship one God. And that is the God who delivered you. And fathers, you need to worship him wholeheartedly. The Bible teaches us that leadership at home begins with the father. We see in the Garden of Eden, it began with Adam. When Adam gave up his responsibility to be the the shepherd and the leader of his home, the family completely withered and fell apart. Fathers must lead the way in, in showing how 
or, or teaching how it, or what it looks like to, to love God. In Proverbs chapter 3, in fact, all of the Proverbs, we see uh, the king, Solomon, addressing his sons, teaching his sons. A whole chapter, is the, the chapters are devoted to my son, my son, do this, do that. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we see Paul speaking to the fathers and telling the fathers to discipline their children. God has created a, a natural order to, that is to take place in the home. Now, because of the fall and because we are broken and and sinful people, we know that every home does not have fathers. And every home does not have responsible dads. And in that case where a father is not a Christian, or a father is a Christian but not responsible, then it is the job of the mother to pick up the load. To cry out to God and say, God, give me a heart that loves you and you alone. For the fathers that are here, I do want to encourage you to make it your life goal to love God. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. If you say that you are a follower of Jesus, see these words and let these words burn in your heart that God says that my followers are those who are completely sold out to me. So the way that a father goes is often the way that a family goes. Husbands, husbands, stand up and lead your family. By cherishing Christ. And I want to encourage the single mothers here who are, are raising children without a, a father in the home to let you know that God can use you to, to raise up a strong man of God. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, you will face challenges, but if you trust the Lord with all of your heart, And lean not to your own understanding. If you live with desperation before God and say, God, I am yours and yours alone, God can do a thing in you and through you. We see examples of this in the New Testament with with Timothy. Now, Timothy had a, a father who was probably present in the home, but he was probably not a Christian. The New Testament makes mention of the fact that he he's a Greek. But Paul, in, in 2 Timothy, he exhorts Timothy and he, he, he tells Timothy to continue to stir up the gift that is in him. And he points to Timothy's grandmother and mother's influence as being the reason why Timothy is a strong man of God. And I, I, I can just imagine how hard it is raising a child by yourself and, and specifically raising a boy by yourself. But I'm telling you that God can use you. And God doesn't demand or, or call you to be perfect, but, but he, he, he demands and calls us to be faithful. He calls us to be his children. And he continues, and he says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So how do we have a God-centered home? We have a God-centered home by loving God with our, our whole heart, 
And by worshiping him exclusively. And then it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. They shall shall be on your heart. Our children shall, shall see us loving God's word. He says they shall be in your heart. They shall reside in your heart. They should belong in your heart. They should stay in your heart. He says your children should see you reading the word. They should see you meditating the word. They should see you studying the word. The word of God should be on you and in you just like a tattoo is on and in the skin of a person. It should be stuck to you. Our children should be the first witnesses and the best witnesses of our personal sanctification. For those who are are starting young, as we make Christ the center of our home, our testimony 20 years from now, Lord willing, from our children will be, I saw mama, I saw daddy grow in the Lord. I remember when I was a young child, mama would cut somebody in a minute. But year after year, I saw God doing a work on mama. I saw God doing a work on daddy. Daddy, I saw how God brought you up. And he got you up off that couch on Sundays. And he got you from in front of that TV uh, uh, and just loving sports and loving ESPN. He gave you a, a, a different test. He didn't, he didn't completely take that love for competition out of you, but he, he rearranged it. May that be all of our prayer. It says it should be on your heart. Now we know that Moses gives this to Israel and they are under the old covenant. And we know as we read the Bible that Israel will fail to do this. They will fail badly at loving the Lord with their whole heart. But we read in chapters like Jeremiah chapter 31 and verses 31 through 34 that God is making a promise to Israel to help them (laughs) to keep this commandment. And how is he going to help them? He promises to give them a new heart. A heart that is not a heart of stone, a heart that is a heart of flesh. He he promises to to give them his spirit and to soften their hearts, to to, to give them a jump start that will help them to love him wholeheartedly. And if we are Christians, we are recipients of that promise. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us. And if we cry out to God and beg God to stay in his word and keep his word on our hearts, he promises not to leave us nor forsake us. He promises to meet us, to grab us, to give us a desire that we would not have on our own for his word day by day. And the word of God is on your heart. You don't just hear the word. The Bible says you obey the word. And why do you obey the word? You obey the word because you love God. Jesus said, if you love me, then you obey my commandments. Moses continues. He said, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now notice what he does not say. He does not say that your pastor shall teach them diligently to your children. He does not say that the Sunday school teacher shall teach them diligently to your children. 
He does not say that the nanny or the grandmother shall teach them diligently to your children. He says, you shall teach them to your children. And we stay in a culture where parents, where we want to bring our children to church and say, save them. Pastor, preach a word. Break it down to my children. But the Bible teaches that the parent is to be the primary discipleship maker in the home. Moses says, you shall teach them. You shall train them up. They shall see you in the word. They should see that the word is on your heart. Now, Moses is not talking about a a religious, uh, just a religious culture. Uh, In our culture, I think that a a lot of parents that we do a good job at at creating a religious ambiance, using religious words, at times singing religious songs. God is not just saying go through the motions. He's saying, no, love God by cherishing his word and by teaching your children his word. Pour into your children that they may fear the Lord. The church's job is to equip parents to teach their children. That is why we go through what to some may be a laborsome task of directing our service to be centered around God's word. You know, that is why we do a scripture memory verse of the month. And I'm like you and the I'm sure the leaders who do the scripture verses of the month sometimes, they say, oh man, this one caught me off guard. I forgot all about this verse this week. But what we're trying to do is say that we need to honor God's word by putting it in our hearts and hiding it in in our hearts. And then we have the catechisms because we really want parents to take those home to meditate on them, to give you some, some verses, some scriptures that you can read with your children. So that your children will grow up knowing what the word of God says. As as ministers and as, as preachers, our job is to make sure that the word of God is exalted. And it's exalted in an intelligible way. It's to make sure that when we bring God's word, we're not looking for an emotional charge. Emotional charge is great. We are to delight in God. We are to praise God. We are to make noise. But before there's an emotional charge, there needs to be an intellectual stimulation. There needs to be a, 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 a statement of truth. God says this. A placement of truth. This is where God says it. A proving of truth. This is why God says it. An illustrating of truth. This is how it looks in our lives. And an application of truth. And he says, and he continues, and you shall talk about them. In fact, let me, let me, go, let me go up and just deal with this word. You shall teach them diligently. Diligently is, is consistently. It is, it is over and over and over. Oh, it is, this, is, this is to be a fabric of your daily life. In fact, this, the Hebrew word for this word that is translated Diligently is it implies to engrave or to chisel the word on your child's heart. How many of you have ever been to the store, Things Remembered? Anybody? Yeah, I like Things Remembered. Got a number of gifts from Things Remembered. And what's unique about Things Remembered is you can get a watch, you can get uh, 
anything, a necklace, you can get a bracelet and you can hand it in and you can say, I want this to appear on this bracelet because I want to give it to a gift. And where do they go? They go to the back and they, they begin to chisel or they begin to engrave a message on that idol. God is saying your children is the idol and you are to engrave a message on them. They may rebel against it, but you keep engraving. They may say this is boring, but you keep engraving. They may say the the kids at school don't have to do that, but you keep engraving. They may say this seems pointless, but you seem, you keep engraving. And if that child leaves that house thinking that, I guarantee you that there will come a time or there is most likely to come a time where they will be in a hard situation. After they have tried this person and that person and this drug and that drug or this career and that career and they will find themselves empty, all of a sudden God will will dust off their heart and there will be something engraved on them. And that will be that God alone deserves to be worshipped. God alone deserves your heart. God alone deserves your adoration. So you remain faithful. You should talk about them when you sit in your house. What, are, what should you talk about? You should talk about the word of God, he says, when you sit in your house. What is the, what is the, the conversation that you and your family are most likely to have, have when you are just sitting around the house? How far down the list is God's word? says the word of God should not be a a random subject that is randomly mentioned in the home, but it should be the main topic. He says you should talk about it when you have family meals. You should talk about it when you have leisure time. You should look at the entertainment that you view on television from a lens of scripture to say, is this helping? Is this hurting? Are they wise or are they foolish? And that's what he continues to say. And when you walk by the way, when you walk by the way, he's saying not just in your house, but when you're going about your daily chores outside of your house, when you're driving in your vehicle, it should, you, the, the music we listen to should, should not be offensive to God. It should teach our children that, that God is consistent, that, that we are consistent by loving God. When we're at restaurants or ball games, our children should see that we cherish the word of God even in public settings. He says, and when you lie down and when you rise. What is God saying? God is saying that your home should be a place where my renown, where my reputation, where my name is is being exalted. From the beginning of the day when you first wake up to the end of the day when you lie down. And he's worthy of that type of attention. You know, if somebody was to tell me that they deserve to be the center of conversation in my home, I would look at them and say, why? What have you done that is worthy of me thinking about you all day, meditating on you night and day. 
Did you save me when I was being self-destructive and and living life according to my own standards? Let let, let me let me see. Did, Did you give me hope when I was hopeless? Did you comfort me when I was friendless? Did you remind me of your goodness? No. Can you make me to look like Jesus? No. Only God. Our children should see us praying. I think the reason why prayer meetings are so poorly attended in many churches and many people don't like praying publicly is because we don't pray as families as we should. Paul Tripp says this, and the family life is brought not only to our doorstep, but into our kitchens, our bedrooms and dens. And the family life is happening all around us and it begs to be questioned, evaluated, interpreted, and discussed. There is no more consistent, pregnant, dynamic form for instruction about life than the family. Because that is exactly what God designed the family to be, a place of learning. And he continues, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And we can definitely say that God is saying that our our house, our homes, our walls, it should be decorated in a way that pleases God and that points to God. But mainly, I think that what he is saying as we look at these number of analogies that we don't have time to go into, I think he's mainly saying that that God is to be engrafted, that he is to be a part of every single thing, every single thing that we think about and every single thing that we do. They should be overwhelmed with God. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. This, is, uh, this, is, this appears in the New Testament. This is exactly what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 5. And I believe he does the same thing in, in Colossians as well. Right before Paul uh, preaches about a, a husband and wife's responsibility to each other, he says this. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Are not the days evil? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your what? With your heart. Paul says, look carefully how you walk when you're in your home. Walk as one who is wise. Devote your heart to the Lord. Sing songs to the Lord. Worship the Lord at home. Do not let Sunday morning be the primary time of worship for you. Now, Having our our homes consumed with God does not guarantee the immediate salvation or the salvation of our children, but it certainly helps to increase our chances. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and, and hearing by the word of God. If we 
take God's word home with us and don't just allow it to be something that we experience at church or experience on the flower, experience every day uh, at random times of, of the week. But if we make it a central part of our home, we are exposing the word of God. And not only if we just make it a central part of our home, but if we seek to obey it, if our children see us repenting when we sin, if our children see us saying, you know, uh, uh, the Bible tells us not to speak evil to anyone, but to edify and to encourage. And, and what you just heard me say on the phone was wrong. And I, I want to repent to God before you. And I want to repent to you. And I pray that you will forgive me for God is a holy God. And we ought to obey what he commands. That's going to make a huge impact on a child's life. A huge impact. A huge impact. Our job is to educate our children. And this gives an increased chance for our children to know Jesus. Jonathan Edwards says family education and order are some of the chief means of grace. If these are duly maintained, all the means of grace are likely to prosper and become effectual. One of the chief means of grace, one of the ways that God saves our children by grace It's through family worship and family education. Richard Baxter says, if family religion were duly attended and and properly discharged, I think that the preaching of the word of God would not be the common instrument of conversion. Would not be the common way that our children are saved. So let's look at real quick, because this all looks good in in theory. And and, and most of us, we do have a desire for Christians to to do this, to make our home a place of worship. But we all know that that life in the 21st century is is chaotic, it's different, right? It's challenges. And what are some of the challenges to making God the the center of our home? One challenge is, is time. Finding the time to make God the center of our home. One reason why we don't make God's word the center of our home is simply because we're too busy. I'm too busy. And I want to remind you of of what this text is saying. It's saying to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. To love him and to worship him and him alone first. One of of the things that, that we need to do is we need to see this not as optional, but as mandatory, as a part of our call as a Christian. And we need to look at our lives, we need to look at our schedule and say, what eats away at my time? Why can I not seek God first? As Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 tells me, to seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is it? And if we look closely enough, we may see that we are worshiping idols. Now you say worshiping idols? I don't don't have a a, a statue of Baal in my home. We don't have a golden staff in my home. We don't worship Buddha. We We worship God. How am I worshiping idols? Entertainment can be an idol. A lot of times we have time, but the, inter- the, the television entertains us. It is, it is on way more than it needs to be on. We have a show every single night of the week. Monday is this. Tuesday is this. Wednesday is this. Oh, Thursday, two shows come on. Friday, I hate Fridays. That's blockbuster night. We don't watch TV on Fridays. God said in this text that we are to love him with all of our might. That means energy. It takes energy to love God. 
It takes energy just as it takes energy to love anyone. But God deserves that energy. He deserves that pursuit because there is none like him in all of the earth. The telephone can be an idol. Sleep can be an idol. Some of us just like to sleep. We go to sleep at 8, wake up at 6, come home at 4, go to sleep at 5 from 5 to 7. <laughs> but the, but the, the damaging thing about this is this, is that if God is not the center of our home and if he is something that we lay, uh, leisurely pursue, if he's not the center of our hearts and the center of our attention, and, and, and if, if the reason we don't have time is because we've got to take little Nuke Nuke and little Bay Bay to sporting events, he's in five different sports in the wintertime, just making up sports. Don't have time because we're ripping and running, taking our kids here and there. He's in basketball and the ballet. Come on now. Well, we send, to our, we send a message to our kids that these things are more important than God. And then they grow up, they leave the home, and they go to college, and they're met with some new age theory or some, some type of philosophy, and all of a sudden they don't want to come to church, and all of a sudden they don't love God, and you're wondering, saying, why? It's because God was not the chief center of attention in our homes. Possibly. Second thing is desire. There are some here say, you know, uh, I, I want to do this, but I'll be honest, I just don't have the desire to do this. Uh, this is just not something that I desire right now. And I, 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 I pray and I, I, I want to tell you to just examine your heart, repent. We need to repent for not desiring God and then pray. Beg God, God, give me the desire. God, I see what your word says. Your word says that I should love you wholeheartedly. Give me the desire to love you wholeheartedly. Right now, I don't. Beg him. Cry to him as a child cries to their mother. Cry to him. Say, give me a desire. And if we are his, God will stir up our hearts and he will give us a desire. Go home. Read the 119th Psalm, a beautiful psalm. We see in the in 119th Psalm a struggle. The, the psalmist is, is, is confessing his love for God's word. And then the next minute, he's begging God to give him a love for God's word. And that's the Christian life. Nobody stays on a mountaintop. Nobody loves God with their whole heart all of the time. It is, a, it is sometimes a carousel. There's sometimes it is drudgery, even for those who, who, who set an example in loving God to love God and we have to beg God and we have to come to God just as we came to him in salvation and say give me this desire God we have to get an attitude like Jacob got to get a spiritual swag about ourselves and say God I will not let you go until you bless me I will not leave this floor I will not leave your word until you make me love it because the only option outside of that is death Next is ability. Ability. You sit here and you say, the, the reason I can't do this at, at home and the reason my house cannot be a, a Christ-centered home is because I just don't have the ability to. I don't know God's word enough. And I just want to <laughs> encourage you to say that God is not calling you to be the next T.D. Jakes or Billy Graham. He's not calling you to preach great sermons at home. He's saying, lift up my word, exalt my word, love my word, read my word, meditate my word, and do the best you can to explain it to your children. You will fall short. 
Nobody, nobody, nobody is smart enough, powerful enough, or well-spoken enough to save anybody. Only God saves. In fact, Moses, as he is writing this command to Israel, you want to be reminded that Moses himself felt inadequate. When God called Moses, what did Moses say? He said, but God, I can't speak. And God said, I don't care. (laughs) Be faithful and speak on my behalf. In fact, if you you really uh, uh, think that this is hard, I'll give you someone to help you to do it. But do it. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And lastly, not knowing where to start. Lord, I I, I want to make you the center of my home. I just don't know where to start. I want to tell you to start by praying for wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5. And the Bible says he gives it freely. And after you pray for wisdom, look at the... Look at your family dynamics. Consider how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you value, and the things that you know that are in competition against God. Repent from them. Put them to side and put together a plan that will honor God. And in the midst of it, remember that God is not a task. Moses was not telling them this in order that it will be a task. Remember that God is a person. He's a person who deeply loves you. So don't go and say, I have to do this. I have to do this as a task. Are you not doing this to prove that you love God or to earn your love for God? You're doing this as a result of you loving God. Doing this will not save you. What saves you is the blood of Jesus. And I just want to encourage those who are, are single, who don't have children but desire to be married and have children, those who are are married who don't have children, those who are grandparents, uh, or whatever the circumstance may be, you don't have children in your home, you say, well, what can I walk away from this sermon? Walk away from this sermon knowing that God calls for us to love them. And he calls for you to love them and to make your home God-centered, whether or not children are there or not. Your home should be a a place of worship. There are some who will be tempted to hear this sermon and to be driven to guilt. As maybe you got saved later on in life after raising your children. Or maybe you were saved while your children were children, but you were never challenged in this way and never thought of the importance of having God's, of having your home be God's home. And I want to encourage you to listen and, and, and to take this message, to take it with the lens of the gospel. Remember that there are no perfect people, therefore there are no perfect parents. And that you could have done this to a T, and your children could have still grown up and not loved the Lord. Remember that God is a gracious God, a loving God, a kind God. And the Bible says that when we accept his son's death, that one of the things that that does is that removes our sin, but it also removes the guilt of our sin. It removes the, 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 the temptation to feel condemned. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who love Jesus. Do not walk away from here feeling condemned because you were not the perfect parent. No one's the perfect parent. There's only one perfect parent, and that is God. And God sent his perfect son to die in your place that you may have life.
as I said before, Adam failed, Israel failed, but the good news is, is that God will get his name and his glory to the nations. The good news is, is that there is, is another family of God that God has raised up. And if you are here today and you are a Christian, you have been adopted into that family. It is his ecclesia, his called out ones, his church. And we will glorify God in the midst of the church. The Bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church, against God's people. Because Jesus is the very head of the church. Where Adam failed, Jesus will not fail. The Bible says that one day in front of God there will be a people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And they will be proclaiming the name of Jesus. They will be lifting up Jesus. They will be worshiping Jesus just as they worship Jesus in their living room when no one else was around but their children. And they will worship him with their whole heart. They will cry out to him and say, worthy is the Lamb of God. They will cry out to God and say, holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They will look around and they will see that their, their family is a lot bigger than their earthly family. And that their family comes in all colors, all sizes, and they speak all languages, but they proclaim one message. That God alone deserves to be worshipped and that God alone deserves to be praised. They will sing one message and that one message will be, we were not saved by works. We were not saved because we we were good parents. We were not saved because we were good teachers or good preachers. We were saved as a result of God's grace, as a result of his mercy. And they will spend an eternity diving into God, finding their satisfaction in him and his glory will fill the earth. I pray that you are part of that family. Let's pray. God, as we leave this place, lead us home. Give us a desire to love you. Please, God, give us a desire to, to not be a walking contradiction in our home, to not take your grace for granted in a home. Help us not to confuse our children. Help us to love you and to love your word. Help us to remember what Jesus did for us, to remember his atoning sacrifice, to remember that it is finished, and therefore it is well with our souls. And from that, let us worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.